Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, MassTest listeners. It's your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I've got some good news. You can now support Market Sarah Talk About Songs on Patreon at patreon.com slash Get access to nifty rewards and MassTest community perks, all while helping keep the lights on here at Editing HQ. Just visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Thank you so much for listening, and now, on with today's show. Welcome back to the 60th episode of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here, as always, with my splendiferous co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Indubitably splendiferous. Indubitably splendiferous. Uh, Today, we'll be ranking Tori Amos's Little Earthquakes album in its entirety. Uh, Before I turn the introduction over to Mark... I would like to read a quote from Roger Morton of New Musical Express and his review of the album in which he said that, quote, it isn't easy getting to grips with Tori. And he called the album a sprawling, confusing journey through the gunk of a woman's soul. Sometimes it's magical and sometimes it's sickly and overwrought. This is basically a description of me, Sarah D. Bunting, in college which is why I related so strongly to this album when it came out. But that's not necessarily why we're talking about it. Mark, take it away. Okay, well, we have, uh, I think it's fair to say, pretty much decided that every 10th episode is going to be an album ranking episode. I mean, don't hold me to that, but it seems like it's fadging out that way. And based on your guys' response, listeners, uh, it became very clear to us that the next album that we should rank was this one. We've received multiple requests. I've actually even had a friend say something about it to me in person. And uh, Brian V. and Laura G. were the first two people to write in and request that we rank this album. And I have to say, it was definitely going to happen. So I am happy that we're doing it now because... God knows I've been thinking about this album since it was released in 1992, uh, 25 years ago, and I'm ready to rumble, roll, and rock. And uh, Sarah, just as a bit of table setting before we get to the meal, I feel like we should talk a little bit about our overall... Let me me just say this. I feel like I need to say this. You can respond however you like. (laughs) I I would not deign to tell you what to do. But for me, listening to this album again, which I've listened to three times in its entirety in the last week, was an interesting experience because I know these songs so well that I haven't sat down and listened to the entirety of the album in years because sometimes I'm just in the mood for one song or the other. And when something has been metabolized so completely for me, I very rarely experience it as a unit again. Right. And... It was really interesting for me to rediscover these this album because I don't need to rediscover these songs, but this album as a as a journey of twelve songs strikes me now very differently than it did when I was a young person because I feel like I have a much better grasp of what she's talking about the The feelings that she's evoking here make so much more sense to me, and I'm also better able to appreciate 
the musical singularity of what's going on here. And that's really the point I wanted to make, is that obviously there are elements of Kate Bush in this album. She didn't invent the piano or the harpsichord. She's not the first person to write confessional lyrics, but there's something so specific and distinct to me about this album. It doesn't sound quite like any other album I've ever heard, even a quarter of a century later, it still sounds really distinct to me. And I feel like that's the thing that I am the most impressed by. Whether or not I love every song on the album, I am impressed by how utterly distinct Tori Amos is as an artist. And I feel like there aren't that many artists ever who are so good at sounding like themselves and then so difficult to imitate. Because the Beatles sounded really distinct initially, but they've been imitated so successfully that they sound less distinct in retrospect. But Tori Amos, to me, has this combination of emotion, theatricality, and piano-based sweep that makes her also very hard to imitate. So she still sounds like something of a cul-de-sac in the ongoing road of pop culture. Like you just go down and you experience Tori and then you go your own way. That's my introductory thought. Uh, I agree in some, well, my experience revisiting the album was similar in some ways. Um, but this is an album that I lived with um, like daily for a couple of years. And then at some point, this sort of like C.S. Lewis door closed and then <laughs> vanished. And I had not listened to this album in 20 years. I'm almost positive. Like, wow. I'm sure I've heard snippets of the songs, but it was like whenever I was like ripping CDs to put them in onto my iPod, when it, like whenever that process of digitizing my music began, either I had lent this album to someone and didn't have it or it was corrupted or for whatever reason it didn't make it into my iTunes library and I did have to purchase it to to you know listen to it and do my notes for this episode. So you're coming to it almost fresh in a way if it's been that long like whereas it's been a very consistent part of my life since it came out. Yeah but interesting. I know it, with a couple of exceptions which I will explain when we get to them towards the end of the album like these chords, like I knew every single um, jot and fillip of her uh, melody progression. I remembered almost all the like collaging. I remembered, mm -hmm. you know, there's certain songs that I'm like, this is a perfect egg, except at the bridge where it's just a fucking mess. And then it returns to being a perfect egg. And it brought me right back to, it was just this like Proustian, uh, transport back to the early 90s, being in college or just post-college, feeling alienated, sort of going out for a beer and waiting for something stupid and oppressive to happen, which it always did because that's life. And then going home to journal about it while Tori was singing in the background. Right. And eating cereal in bed and feeling very superior. And I don't... I obviously didn't really miss this album and I don't really miss being that person, but I, I, whatever else I think of the individual songs or the album, it's ability to like reopen that door back into that time of my life 
effortlessly is Mm -hmm. amazing. It's extremely, even if when it's evoking something annoying, it's extremely (laughs) evocative at all times. Um, And I found my, there were a few tracks where I was really like struggling with like my respect for her ambition Mm -hmm. versus it just not being for me anymore Mm -hmm. but i will always be so grateful to her and to a few other artists at around the same time for just letting me marinate in them and feel like it wasn't i wasn't completely alone and i think that she has done that for many 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 women and lgbtq people uh straight men sorry you know what all the other (laughs) podcasts are for you so y'all don't get to come I seriously, although there was some like, there was some joke, I think in Sassy, it was like, they did a little listicle of like the best, um, like your best odds of getting laid as a straight guy at a concert. And it was like, if you're that guy who's actually there to hear Tori Amos and you're, you know, not in the closet, you will, you will be fighting them off with a stick, (laughs) a sparkly stick with streamers on it. (laughs) It occurs Uh, to me though, that if... Tori Amos had released this album <clears throat> with these themes and this musical adventurousness and had been a man, this album, and would have won a Grammy, and she would already be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I feel like it's so interesting that we've talked about so many of the women of this period who have been, in a way, underappreciated or f- overlooked since while their male peers like your REMs and your U2s who were, come on, not any better. They're just all excellent, right? They're just all excellent. But the men seem to pick up the accolades. And well, or you could see her as the, you could see her as the um, opposite side of the coin of ween, Mm. which like people respond very strongly to both of these artists, Mm -hmm. good and bad. And, Ween is seems to attract this, like the kind of fans that Ween can attract. Like, first of all, it's like sort of music nerd prog rock people, but then there's a lot of like misogynistic dicks. Like, I used to date mm-hmm. a guy who was not a misogynistic dick, but was super into Ween. And we would go, we went to a few shows, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this with you anymore. Mm. Because there's that song with the lyrics, baby, baby, bitch, and like the pumping middle fingers in the audience. I'm like, this is weird. I don't, mm. I don't feel like I should have to stand behind you to feel safe at a concert. Right. So I'm, I'm all set with that. But I think Tori is like, her fans are like exactly the opposite of that. But then there's so much overlap in terms of... Um, how what they're trying to do experimentationally and like ween had a whole country album which i'd still love uh and that they're very ambitious and very uncompromising uh so yeah that's well, not a comparison I, think that... I thought that i was going to be making when we began this process so <laughs> but that's why this i wander completely up my own ass we should probably get to the rankings. Yes, and before we do, let me just remind you, in case you have not heard one of our ranking episodes before, of how we do this. Uh, we are going to be going through the album in initial original track order, 
and we will be assigning each song a point value. There are 12 songs on the album, which means that one song will get 12 points from us, one song will get 11, one song will get 10, and so on. So when we get to song one, I will assign it one of my point values, and Sarah will assign it one of hers. And then at the end of going through the entire album, we'll take a break, although you won't hear that. You know, We'll cover that up in editing. And I will add up all of the points, and then the song that gets the highest collective score from the both of us will be our number one song on this album. The song that gets our lowest collective score will be our number 12 song, and we'll reveal the top and bottom three at the end of the process. Great. The more you know. <laughs> so you know. let's now dive in with track one, which I've actually called for a clip of, and that is Crucify. So before we go any further, let's hear the clip of the opening song, Crucify. Every day that I think about this song is a good day. Ha ha. Um, but way, way back in 1992, I remember seeing for the first time, I remember seeing Tori Amos for the first time on MTV when they were playing the Silent All These Years video. And it was 1992. I was 13. I didn't get that song. The Musically, it was strange. Where was the Mariah Carey style backbeat? It didn't sound like anything I understood. So I dismissed uh, silent all these years at the time out of hand. And then several months later, I saw the video for Crucify and I got this song right away. I found myself sucked into the drums, to the chorus, to the way that she said, and it was this song that opened the door to my fandom for Tori Amos, which lasted intensely through the From a Choir Girl Hotel album. So... This, to me, I always think of as the breaker of my Tori Amos cherry, which I feel like is a perfectly appropriate image to use for this particular artist. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> uh, before I get any further, uh, I'd be interested to know if you have any thoughts or memories. Um, I think this is the perfect song for her to open the album with, and of course for us to open with, because it's everything that she does well and everything that's annoying about her. Um, mm. This has not aged real well for me 
because these lyrics seemed really incisive back then and they seem a little bit pat now like hmm. there's a cat named easter like of course there is um, <laughs> i don't i'm glad you clipped this part because this is the this is the sort of melodic interest that I like before she starts layering on backing vocals in the chorus that I, mm. I think take away from it a little bit. Um, but yeah, the, I love the chorus. I love the, um, this really spoke to me back in the day more than it does now, just about the sort of like quest for um, the quest for forgiveness of self, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it's a little, yeah, like lyrically, it's just a little, a little lazy and a little dream journal-y. And this is not, this is not in my um, top half of songs on this album. Actually, I don't dislike it, but there were like, sort of the longer it went on, the, the more things it was adding that I thought took away from it. So mm. I have it at uh, number eight in and my rankings so number eight means that you're giving it five uh points. five points yes well i have to say that and i think it i don't know i don't i don't actually know with an album like this how to differentiate between what i actually think and what i used to think because i never stopped listening to this album but to me this song remains a powerhouse and i i think personally that the lyrics are actually great i love them i love the line got a bowling ball in my stomach, got a desert in my mouth. Um, I feel like that's perfectly evocative of how it feels to be standing in front of a room full of people who make you uncomfortable. And I also just really love the notion of a whole song about the ways that we will kill ourselves to make other people happy. And you're right that these lyrics are very blunt in a way that her lyrics usually are not, but this is what I was talking about earlier about not quite grasping what the song was about when I first heard it and just hearing the sound of the song. I guess in my own life, I have just spent so much of my energy trying to be what I was perceiving I was supposed to be. And straightforward as these lyrics are, they just really speak to me and I get it. And I have also looked for a savior in dirty sheets, as it were, uh, and that failed. And I feel like the thing I connect to now in these lyrics is the frustration and the anger that I can feel sometimes when I feel myself going down that people-pleasing road again. That added to the fact that I just find the music really very pleasurable and to me, the fact that she says Weverry Day is so perfectly indicative of how crazy she is that I kind of am charmed by it. So for me, I am putting Crucify at number three, and I am giving it uh, 10 points. Okay. But I'm going to go ahead and give you uh, a preview. I don't actually dislike really any song on this album so that's i can see we're going to have some interesting divergences uh as we go along yeah well there were there were like a handful of songs that i wanted to put last <laughs> and it was it was actually really hard to like oh you you get to be tense um and then there's one notorious song that it's like i think both of us are just gonna I, i'm interested to see how you chose to handle yeah, well, we'll get to that soon. Track 11. But uh, before that, let's talk about track number two, Girl. 
maybe one day she'll be her own. This is a great, like, put on a Felicity sweater and brood out the window of a <laughs> bus heading upstate <laughs> in February song. <laughs> yes, and, like, maybe just lightly drag your finger across the condensation on the window. Uh-huh. And draw yes. a heart with a crack down the middle. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I wish, I wanted to rank this higher because it's, again, one of those songs where, like, she just keeps putting shit on it. And it's like, it winds up looking like the, anthropo- the anthropology catalog. Like, had a, had a baby with this song and a basket of kittens. Like, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's extra. Um and the melodramatic violins are not my favorite. But with that said, like, I can run down a list of things that this song is like, and then it reminds me of. So the song is doing its job. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, it might not be, it's not my favorite. It also is not in the top half. But it's, like... I had no trouble, like, it was two bars in, and I wrote down that Felicity comment in my notes. Right. Because it's like, I know exactly, I know exactly where this is. I remember listening to this on a fucking drive to St. Lawrence to visit friends. Yeah. Like, even if, like I said before, even if it's evoking something that's a little, like, uncomfortable or, like, it's kind of standing a little too close to you sometimes, it's still evocative. So, Yeah. This one is number seven for me. Six points. Oh, well, we are pretty much in exact agreement about this song then. Oh. And, um, yeah, I agree with you that it is so evocative. It does create a mood very well. I dinged this song a little bit because the lyrics in this song are ridiculous. Uh, She laughs (laughs) as violins fill with water screams from the bluebirds can't make them go away girl girl yes with a message from my heart yeah girl this is not the only time that i have in my notes tori please calm down but (laughs) (laughs) well the thing the thing that's so fascinating to me about tori amos is homegirl will write a piercingly simple yet powerful line like she's been everybody else's girl maybe one day she'll be her own which is the same theme as crucify uh-huh. but then she's like but you know what boo boo i hear the sound of a bluebird in a violin filled with water and i'm like oh my god i can't believe it took us 20 minutes to get to the first boo boo i had to boo boo tori on that one though i really did <laughs> so i have put tori amos in 7th place 6 points as okay. well huh so we are okay. in perfect agreement on that. Next, Sarah, I believe you called for a clip for track three. So why don't you uh, hit us with an intro? I, I did. Um, there is a, there's something about this one that like it works in spite of itself. This one I remembered immediately. Um, I, I seem to recall myself and my friends giving ourselves a lot of credit listening to it and inferring things from lyrics that were in retrospect pretty obvious and like a little self-satisfied as well uh and we'll we'll hear an example at the end of the clip so i'm gonna play the clip now and then talk about it a little bit more oh and let's say this is yes this is silent all these years yes excuse (laughs) me this is silent all these years i should have been less silent about what track it is here's the clip sometimes 
There's a directness to this pain in the delivery of the word years and mm-hmm. this sense of like just sort of sitting by the light of one candle at her kitchen table, um, obsessively looking at her ex-boyfriend's Facebook page. Not that it had been invented yet, but you know what I mean. And just sort of like online stalking him being like her and then looking at herself in the mirror and hate eating a gallon of ice cream. And it's... <laughs> Again, very <laughs> evocative, and I think I played this song over and over again in those exact circumstances. I am going to have to clock it because this is yet another bridge where it's like the fucking thunder rolls with a gazillion backing vocals and like weird guitar. I mean, it's it's not the worst offender on the album in this regard, and we will get to it, but it's just like... Sometimes I wish she were able to be still for mm. longer mm-hmm. and and stay and like stay in that lane and she can't she's just too full of feels and that's what makes her her like and you have to take all of it together which I think is uh in a meta sense kind of kind of cool um because it's like look you know you you don't get to cherry pick which parts of me you like well uh, you know so i you, feel like you have to take it all together but yeah i i love this song i i continue to love this song well and you saying that about right like you you don't get to not have the really hysterically emotive part of tori amos reminds me of something that my dear friend rachel said to me once who i think i referenced like a hundred times on this podcast but <laughs> she was hey, a giant Rach. Hey, girl, she was a giant Tori Amos fan as well. But also in grad school one time, we were talking about the playwright Luigi Pirandello, and his wife had a nervous breakdown and went uh, and became paralyzed from the waist down for like a year. And Rachel was always like, see, now that's what I want. I want to be like Mrs. Pirandello, where I get so freaked out that I can just sit down for a year. And I feel like <laughs> there's something about the level of emotion that Tori Amos is expressing where none of us actually have the ability really to get through the day while also expressing the thousands of overtracked vocals that we feel in our hearts. But Tori Amos says it. And it's like, girl, you know what? I don't know that I would necessarily hang out with someone in real life who expressed all this all the time, but you doing it in this song, it's like a nice little release valve. It's a little annoying, but I also get it. And it's like, you're right. It's just part of the package. And we all, well, I'm now shouldn't speak for us all, but I certainly have that part of myself. And Tori Amos, like working it out for me sometimes is really satisfying. Yeah, um, it's true. Yeah. And especially as, uh, you know, as a woman listening to this, that there's this recurring theme of like, I feel 
hurt and rage and I am sick of also feeling ashamed of feeling hurt and rage and I'm sick of apologizing. Yeah. For those things. That is like it's weird because it's it's coexisting the fact that she should maybe apologize for inflicting um some of these songs on us and just like kind of screaming in our faces about like just ripping every scab in front of us. But then that's such a good point. And I, you know, there is something about a woman being unapologetically a mess that she's like, look, I, I can deal and I'm going to deal, but I'm having a really hard time that there's something right. as a woman that you're like, thank God someone says it and understands that like, there is this impossible double standard that like no one, you know, everyone assumes that you're going to be emotional and hysterical. And then when you're, you're actually that with legit reason, no one can cope because it makes them uncomfortable. So right. I'm glad she exists and like flies the flag for freakouts. Good for her. I also do want to point out that I, I cannot remember if it was an AOL group or a bulletin board Somewhere in the early days of the internet, I belonged to a, an online Tori Amos fan forum called Really Deep Thoughts. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> sure. I just, I'm just saying it. It was right around the time that uh, Boys for Pele, her third album, came out, and we all got on there and had our really deep thoughts about that album and then the picture of her breastfeeding a pig on the album cover or somewhere in the album, you know, That's somewhere true. in the booklet. So what was your uh, what was your score for Silent? Oh yes, my score is at uh, number five, eight points. And I put it at number four and give it nine points. Fantastic. Well, well. Uh, next, we come to a song that I pulled a clip for. This is "Precious Things," and not not to be confused with the "Precious Moments" figurine. No. <laughs> Although I can understand how you might. Spoiler. <laughs> so please, uh, please rock us with this hot clip. On it. You said you're really an ugly girl. But I like the way you play. But I thanked him. Can you believe that? Sick, sick. Holding on to his picture. So you can make me come. That doesn't make you Jesus. Girl, I know that the Lord told you to speak the truth today, and you did it. And I have a feeling, Sarah, that the reasons you are going to hate this song are the reasons that I love this song. This is a drag queen song. This is some, I have literally got mascara running so far down my eyes that it's now on my knees. It's this is a song where you're just like, you know what? I am so pissed and so drunk that I actually took your baby sister's car keys and used them to scratch motherfucker on your car. So I fucked up her life and your life. And you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, I'm going crazy. It's like, it makes me think about Laura Dern in the opening episode of the show, Enlightened. I love how unapologetically insane this song is. The random appearance of the guitar, the fast 
like intense piano playing. The fact that when I saw her in concert with my friend Laura, who is my super lady from my wedding and who actually is the female voice on today's theme song, the fact that when Laura and I saw her in concert in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, way back when we were in like ninth grade, 93, 94, when she sang this song, she went, can you believe that? And then she just turned to the audience and went, sick. And it was amazing. Can you believe that? sick. And I felt literally in my soul like someone had heard and seen my nascent need for camp. And that is why for me, this song is number two, 11 points. This campy, amazing song. Two, I number would two, just 11 like points. to say, bless your heart, this, <laughs> this testimony that we have just heard, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> almost made me raise my ranking but <laughs> not quite because everything about it is i i can't i can't <laughs> it's like literally having my hair pulled like the studied opener with the panting yes and then that like swear like i can't this is i had girl chill out in all caps in my notes um <laughs> And I like the percussive piano and the battle cry. And as I've said in the, as I said, talking about the last track, this unapologetically like crazy, like Manson Lamps song, like I respect that part of it, but this is not pleasant for me to listen to. And my notes conclude, quote, now somehow we're in the middle of a dance break in a lesser Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that's supposed <laughs> to fill while the new set rolls in from stage left. <laughs> Cap yeah. Caps lock, nope, it's like end quote. Starlight Sex Press, I guess, would be the name of that musical. <laughs> Number 12, one point. Ooh, oh, shit. Oh yeah, my God, it's... this is why these episodes are so much fun, and I'm so glad we do not share our rankings in advance. I mean, I mean, I think that if we ranked your mastass rants, that would be number one. <laughs> but I have to say, for me, but oh my God, it I really feel... was glorious. The mascara on the knees, and the, I mean, that was a lot of Tory <laughs> detail that you got in there. Uh, well, my I... eternal respect to you, but I cannot raise it. It's still got to be one point. Well, similarly, though, if we were to rank Sarah's uh, cutting you down to size moments, the you sound like a lesser dance break in a lesser Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Girl, that's that's some A-plus library is open Oxford oh. English Dictionary reading. And I Get praise a sweater and, and a hat. And not just because <laughs> the next song is winter, but because we are in the darkest shade right now. I'm sorry. Before we go further, I, I'm reminded of a, of an anecdote I must share. This song and the divinals I touch myself were part of a failed <laughs> campaign that I waged in the eighth grade to convince my dad that sex songs were not about sex because I would play things in the car and half the time my dad wouldn't listen. He was probably just sinking into his own thoughts and thinking, my God, could we, could, I wish that my son could just once want to listen to the Rolling Fucking Stones. And I was always like, Tori Amos, Ani DeFranco. Anyway, so, but one time we were listening to this song in the car and the line, so you can make me come, that doesn't make you Jesus, blasted out. And my dad was like, huh, do you know what that's about? And I was like, 
of course I knew, but then I had to act like I didn't know. So I played it like, what oh, yeah, it just means like, it's just like when you make someone come to you, like you just call for them and they come. That's what that means. Like I'm just, I, and I tried to play this fake innocence so that he wouldn't <laughs> make me not listen to the tape anymore. And then it's similarly around this time I said, oh, I touch myself. It's like <gasps> when you clasp your heart or, you know, like, <gasps> and I acted out what I touch myself was about. And <laughs> my dad was and like, your dad's like, so you're gay and simple. Got yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> we did bond over Mary Chapin Carpenter songs. That was, there were no, uh, uh, pretenses of me not knowing what masturbation or orgasms were when we listened to that. Anyway, the next song is uh, a song that you have pulled a clip for, Sarah. So before we talk any more about my ongoing narrative of how I talked about sex to my father, take it away. <laughs> I, it really, speaking of a library, um, <laughs> the next song is uh, Winter. Uh, let's hear a clip and then discuss. This really, I suppose, should not work for me. The piano work here, I think, is my favorite playing on the album. Mm. Uh, it's very well-picked and beautiful. Uh, there is another, you know, poetricality 101 image set at work here that I think is not pushing quite hard enough. But the there's like, a, if the dictionary had like a little audio buttons in it, the this her um, delivery here would be in the dictionary next to the word bereft. Like she's, mm. she's absolutely bereft. Um, and she keeps it like, she keeps it pretty simple. There's a little bit of the like histrionics in the backing vocal and those violins really should think about some decaf, but it is, but you can sort of smell the snow in this song. Mm. Uh, I, forgot about this song but the minute it started i was like oh yes this one um i really like the song some of her pronunciations are a little meh but overall this is a really beautiful piece of work and she kind of restrains herself a little more and i think that's why so i had this one at uh, number three ten points nice well those of you listening who follow my personal twitter account at i am blankenship might know that I have pinned a photo to the top of my account of a hedgehog playing a tiny piano. And then underneath <laughs> I've added the caption, when you're going to make up your mind, when you're going to love you as much as I do. And I just, <laughs> in case you didn't know, that is a quote of this song. So think of a tiny hedgehog singing this song the next time you're feeling down. Um, I And have... at all other times also, please. <laughs> Oh. I have no kick with this song, uh, as they used to say in the 20s. I've got no problem with it. I like the fact that she wrote such a lovely song about growing apart from your father. That's like a thoughtful, unique thing to write a song about. Yeah, I think the song and is... she and it's not weird. Like, yeah. she doesn't make it weird. Like, of all the people to not make that subject weird, she doesn't yeah. make it weird. Damn like, Because her father was a pastor, and I know that she obviously yeah. has some weird relationships to religion, so... But she was able to just find something really lovely in there. And 
for me, this song, I, I have no reason to explain this. I just, I like this song, but it isn't one of my favorites. So I've got it squarely in the middle in seventh place with six points. That makes sense. Next is, uh, we don't have a song for, uh, we don't have a clip for this. So I'll just say that the Thank next song. God. The Sorry. next song on the list <laughs> is the, <laughs> shall we say, aggressively twee, Happy Phantom. Which, again, I don't hate any song on this album, but I'm not, like, in love with this song. I feel like there's a little... This is one of the rare moments on this album when I feel like that she sounds pretty forced. Like, I agree. trying too hard somehow. Now, let me ask you this. Did you... Um, I remember thinking the lyrics to this. Like, I wrote some of them down in this little, like, blank paper book I have where I write down quotes and have been doing this since i was 16 so there's oh my god we're the same person preferable shit in there obviously in pink pen but uh yeah i have that confucius does this crossword with a pen quote in mm. there and i hate myself um, <laughs> for writing that down but did you feel like this was maybe trying to be a 90s take on Joni mitchell's take on twisted on court and spark Huh. You know that sort of like vaudeville song where she's singing about therapy? Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? That's, you know, you've just hit on exactly what it is about this song that makes me a little cool on it. It feels like a stylistic experiment more than an authentic yeah. expression. That it was like, well, this will be, and like, I'll get to wear a bowler hat when I play it. Like, just right. wear a fucking bowler hat. You're Tori Amos. Give me a break. But yeah, but th this is like, my note said, a fun song from a woman with no discernible sense of humor about herself. <laughs> yes. Sorry, girl. Just doesn't work for me. Where'd you have this ranked? I have it tenth with three points. Uh, yeah, eleventh with two points. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sorry. Did you have anything else to add about the forcity? No, just that it makes me think about. Annie Lennox has a song, uh, a cover of the 1920 song "Keep Young and Beautiful" on the end of her Diva album. And that is a great example uh -huh. of an artist with a lot of wit and self-awareness knowing how to turn an experiment like this into something you want to hear. So if you want to hear a good version of what it seems like Happy Phantom is going for, track down Annie Lennox singing Keep Young and Beautiful. Anyway. Or Dolly Parton's I Get a Kick Out of You. Oh, yes. Delightful. So, Indeed. Sarah, you pulled a clip for our next song. So do introduce. Uh, this song, this is China. Uh, this, the first piano notes put me right back, uh, to lying on my back on my futon in Patton Hall, looking at the naked branches upside down and feeling the chill of loneliness blow through my soul and crying <laughs> into my ears and being a complete and utter drama queen sans portfolio. Uh, let's listen to a clip. I have a couple other comments and then I'll turn it over to you. Okay. China, all the way to New York. Maybe you got lost in Mexico, and you're right next to me. I think that you can. Yeah. 
she uh, sounds drunk <laughs> in that last <laughs> chorus. And that's one of the heartbreakingly wonderful things about this song, I think. It sort of works that, y- you know, you've gone out to get drunk with friends and sort of forget about this guy. And you wake up and, like, you still live with this guy, but you feel more alone than you ever have, even sitting right next to this person who's supposed to take care of your heart and keeps leaving it out on the counter. Um, Yeah, I just think this song is beautiful. It's a mess. Uh, There's like weird grunting happening in the bridge, which I just skipped over because I just don't, I don't want to Yeah, I mean, she always, she like, she's, She's being so sympathetic, and then you're just like, "Why are you, why are you having a pain gasm in my lap?" And then she ha, goes ha. back to playing the piano, and you're like, uh, "Okay, fine." Um, mm. But this is my number one. I don't think this is Whoa. necessarily the best song on the album, but it is my number one because I can see. I have not watched a video for this, but I had one in my head, and. Like all the little arms, the minute the the minute the song started, all the little arm hairs stood up. Mm. There was that little tingling of the tear ducts. I was like, uh huh. I mean, this is. I mean, it's well, it's well built. It brings me back to a time in my life, and I think it's like uh, this is going to sound like a like a read, but it's not. It's a compliment. It's like a tr- a triumph of sincerity. Mm. No, and that's that, yeah. Because it's man, yeah, you're right. Like it does sound very sincere, especially interestingly compared to the song that immediately precedes it on the album. It's like yeah. she goes from Happy Phantom to this. And I have actually seen the video for this song because I had a VHS tape of the Little Earthquakes visual album that I used to love and uh it's a good video. And one of the things that I have always believed about this song, although I have no proof and may be wrong, is that this is the song that she wrote when the album was finished and the record label said, we need a single. Huh. Like, I just, this song to me is the most straightforward attempt that I think Tori Amos has made, at least that she made in her first four albums. It's the most straightforward pop sounding song that she made, I think with maybe one other partner that we'll get to later. but And I don't think that that's, that's not a read. I just think it's really interesting that when Tori Amos makes a song about heartbreak and you know, I think it's that that's what it is. It's really just, it's a song about like being so brokenhearted and there's something just so, um, well, you use the word bereft to talk about winter, but there's something so simple about this song, except for the bridge. It just, it strikes me as this is the closest she's ever going to get to being radio friendly. Well, yeah, I think that we have talked on this podcast before about that song or any sort of work of art that feels like it was a last minute request or a last minute substitution that had to be created on the fly and that forced whoever it was to like strip everything down and just yes. keep it simple. And so as far as that version of the theory goes, I can totally see that that would be true, that this was like the last... They had to kick something off the album because it was just too much, like, origami, origami self-harm fiesta. And they're just like, that's, even for you, that's too much. 
write us something simple about knowing you have to dump a guy. And then she did. And it, it was this. And it's the best one, in my opinion. Where did you have it? Well, again, I don't dislike any song on this album. But for whatever reason, this song, I, I like it, but I don't get up and want to preach to the rafters about it the way I do some of the other songs. So this one to me is it's in ninth place with four points, but that's not a wow. that's not a dig. It's just okay. it's just in ninth place because you know, I just I when you like every Someone's song. Someone's gotta album, be in ninth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh well next we have a song that we're not clipping. It's Leather, which uh my friend Laura and I caddishly or um caddishly? What am I trying to say? Cattily? We we no uh whatever we we rewrote it one time when we were sitting in oh my god this is another story about hiding sexuality and our awareness of it from our parents we were in her <laughs> house and she was playing this song on the piano and we were singing it but we kept changing all the lyrics so that her mother who was in the kitchen wouldn't hear us so it would be like look I'm standing right here before you. Don't you want more than my heart? <laughs> oh, so I feel like that leather is another uh, genre experiment, the way that Happy Phantom is. And yet this one to me is more successful uh, just because it's got that twisted thing about sexual domination in it that makes it feel like Tori Amos alone was the one who could possibly write it. And I really like this song. I, I find it charming and and sly and I put it in eighth place and gave it five points. Huh. Um, I don't dislike this vaudeville song style. I agree that although it's a little it's probably an experiment and it's a little bit like um one of those uh, one of those song breaks in all that jazz where you're like, who cares? Get back to Roy Scheider. Um, the piano line is really good. It's just not essential, and it's a little too pleased with itself for being shocking in a way that I think I liked that when I was 24, but at 44, mm. I'm like, uh-huh. So I, but I do think it works better than the last one. So I have this in ninth place, four points. Very good. Okay, next we have a song that I have clipped. This is a sample of the nearly seven-minute piano <laughs> explosion called Mother. Uh, are we hearing a clip? Yeah. The phone has been disconnected, dripping with blood. And with time and with your advice, poison me against the moon. Oh, God. Mother, the car <laughs> is here. Somebody leave the light on. Black chariot, father, dancing, dancing girl. He's gonna change my name. Okay, so I know that there's no excuse for this song, right? The phone has been disconnected, dripping with blood and with time and with your advice, poison me against the moon. 
I get it. That is crazy. That's unacceptable. And yet, Sarah, something about this song gets me. I know. Same. There's something about, like, it's telling a story about it. I could list complaints about this song for, like, a full half an hour. Almost as long as this song is. (laughs) Yeah, that shit's way too long. But then the ending is gorgeous. Like, you're sort of sitting there looking at your watch like, girl, all right, cry it out. Come on. And then you get to the end, which is like this beautiful trail off. It's so good. I mean, it's it's stupid. It's horrible. It's annoying. It's pretty brilliant. I know. know. That's That's exactly right. It's terrible and brilliant. And she makes so much. And it's just her and the piano. And it feels like such a full dramatic song. And there's this weird. You feel like she's probably lying along the piano and playing it like upside down from on top of it while wearing nothing but scarves. And you're like, I can't. (laughs) I but I must. Just, there's something about the storyline of the song about a woman who seems to be running off to marry a military man, and she is both excited and terrified of leaving behind her childhood and becoming a woman and whatever the hell that might mean. I, I find it effective, and it is a pretty song. And and yet, like you said, we could take the next six episodes of this podcast and just talk about things about mother that make us crazy. Mark and Sarah talk about mother. Mastam. In the full flower of those contradictions, I actually put this song in fifth place and gave it eight points. I get, for reasons that I can't totally explain, this um, escape from Grey Gardens at midnight (laughs) on the longest day of the year vibe from this song that is sort of Tori's crazy genius. That it's like, even though I kind of want to, you know, slap you backhand uh, hard enough, hard, like, so that you get it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're putting whole, like, um, Brontean plots in my head without maybe even meaning to. And I can't, you know, you could have done it in five minutes instead of seven, and I sort of wish you had. But I still rank this one at number four. Nice. And, you know, I feel like it's what you just said about Brontean is right. Like, it takes a real artist of skill to conjure something that vast in a relatively short amount of time. And make no mistake, that's what she wants. Like, she wants all the Bronte sisters in every song, and she is straining to get it done, but she gets it done. Yeah. 90% of the time, it's like, well, all right, I can smell the sweat from here, but you you did it. You got it. And you know what? The reason she's able to do it is because she, I don't think she really gives one flying fuck about whether anyone thinks she should do it or not. Yeah, or she does, but she's doing it anyway because she has discovered she can only be someone who wears a, you know, pants made entirely of buttons. I don't know where I keep getting (laughs) these images from. It's like I'm writing fanfic about her. But, oh well. That's that's Mastis for you. Pants, pants made of buttons. You know what, though? If a button ever fell off your shirt, those pants would be really helpful. I, it would. They're practical and fashionable. <laughs> How's your project going, Stokes? Great. I've interviewed all the unicorns I need to, but I need to get the interviews transcribed. Uptown Transcription can do it with good rates and fast turnaround. 
UptownTranscription at gmail.com. UptownTranscription at gmail.com. Thank you, Allie. Whether you're an academic, an attorney, an author, or an artist, Shira, that's me, from Uptown Transcription can transcribe all of your recordings. For information and rates, email UptownTranscription at gmail.com. Mention Mark and Sarah talk about songs and save 10% off your first job. Okay, next we have the song Tear in Your Hand. And this is our last clip of the episode. It's a clip that I requested. So, Sarah, uh, DJ Sarah DB, would you hit me with that clip? Sure will. Maybe it's time to wave goodbye now. Time to wave goodbye. Sarah, I love this song so much. And I specifically picked that clip because one of my favorite things about this song is when you hear the sound of the acoustic piano thumping right before she goes into that. (laughs) There's just something so human and real and, and present about that sound being in the song. And then I love the, the, the melody of the song. And to me, the line I think there are pieces of me you've never seen. Maybe she's just pieces of me you've never seen. I just, I love that line. It's perfect. Yeah, I cited that one too. It like almost, it makes no sense, but then it is everything also. Yeah. It's yes. like listening to the sea in a seashell, kind of. <laughs> right. But and, it's a line, yeah. And there's just something about this song that's so confident and so heartbroken, and I love the combination of the two. It's I'm heartbroken that you are fucking with me like this, but also you don't even have the ability to see me. So how dare you? And I that plus the very accessible pop production around the song, I think that this is one of her best songs of all time, and it's certainly my favorite song on this album, and I put it in first place and gave it the full 12 points. Uh, well, I think, spoiler, that we're probably going to have a, a winner after this one. Um, everything that she does in this song that she's done in prior songs on this album that didn't quite work for me in those songs works here. It's yes. like everything lined up like tumblers in a lock. Um, and there's like a maturity to this song that the she's expressing this post-heartbreak ennui but contrasting it expertly with this relatively peppy, like, 
outward facing, properly socialized melodic story. And I think it really is incredible. The collaging in the bridge that like after 10 songs worth of that, I was like, I am going to burn down music if she does this one more time. <laughs> but this is where it really was sort of like, oh, wh when it really works and is controlled, this is the effect. Uh, so it's not my number one, but it is my number two. Yes. 11 points. Yeah, I think that you're right. We may have just found our champion. But uh, one thing we haven't yet found, I don't think, is our ultimate last place finisher. But maybe we're about to get there. Like I said, we don't have cl a clip for the next song. And I, honestly, it's probably for the best. The next song is Me and a Gun. It is the acapella song in which Tori Amos relates the true story of her rape by a fan who saw her at an early concert. It is, to me... In two ways, one positive, one negative, very hard to listen to. Mm -hmm. Positive first, the lyrics and the evocation of this horrible experience are very powerful and very painful. And I have an enormous amount of respect for her creating a song like this that is so frank and so raw and so open and really addresses something that I don't know has ever been addressed like this in popular music before or since. And yet the song, and I understand why the song is acapella, that there's, there's got to be a certain nakedness to this type of vulnerability. And yet I find the singing on the song to be so unpleasant. And I find the quote unquote melody to be so childlike, sing songy, unpleasant. I just, I respect this song. I've listened. I never skip this song if I'm listening to the whole album, but I would never seek this song out independently. I put it in last place, Sarah, and I gave it one point. Um, I purposely just put it in the middle because I was like, I don't feel like I have the right to have an opinion. Yeah, about I this feel that way too. Yeah, therapeutic experience for her, but I had the same experience. I think uh, that it's lyrically, it's very effective. I agree with the decision to do it a cappella. I think the childlike vocal is a sort of like disassociation sure. choice that, but it is unpleasant to listen to. I also don't like how much vibrato and Hepburnian pronunciation she's putting on it. It feels a little like, don't, you know, this really happened to you. Um, so if this is what you need to do to get through the telling of it, I understand, but it's, like it's off-putting and not because of the subject it's just off-putting orally to hear um maybe that's the point Probably, i'm so glad yeah. that she did this uh i think it has helped and spoken to a lot of people survivors advocate groups have given her awards for writing the song just justifiably yes um but i don't feel like i can step to this with a rating because that's you know it doesn't care what I think, nor should it. So I just put it safely and anodynely in the middle with a six, seven points. You know, and I actually almost emailed you to say, should we just not rank this? Yeah, song? I was thinking of doing that too, but I figured, you know, we'll <laughs> we'll save it for group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the reason that I ended up putting the song last is a way of me trying to also make it not be part of the conversation in the same way. Like, 
this song is just, we're going to put this at the bottom and just leave it be. It's kind of, because, yeah, it's like, I, who the fuck am I to say that this song is good or bad? Like, no, I don't find it pleasant to listen to, but you know what else isn't pleasant? Being raped. So. Yeah. And then being actually obliged to sing. Yeah. So you're not killed. Like, whatever, whatever you have to do to get from one end of that story to the other and try to help other people with it, fine. Yeah. So yeah, I just punted and went down and didn't really. I, but like, I would say that rank ranked it. But your choice is also a fine one because it's like this is living in a different place from the rest of this album a little bit. So yeah, and like I'm really glad this song exists, and I think that this song was also instrumental in her creating or at least being strongly connected to an organization called Rain, the Rape mm-hmm. and Incest something network it's something it's a, network yeah it's a it's a support group or a, something for people who have experienced sexual trauma and anyway well that's that being said i don't really have a problem with my low ranking for little earthquakes the title song from this album uh this song is like i think 106 minutes long and again like i don't I think that this is probably the only song on the album that if you were like, Mark, you really don't dislike any song on this album, I might be like, ah, yeah. I don't really like Little Earthquakes. It's really long. There's a thing about vampires dancing in graveyards. There's like every mannered vocal thing she's ever done. Uh-huh. There's, a There's whole... that weird sitar shit happening. Yeah. It's like, oh, this now, George Harrison? Okay. And then there's the whole, give me life, give me pain. It's like, girl... Seriously. I'll give you a, pain. Here's a chill <laughs> pill. <Come here. laughs> so, yeah, I put this one in uh, 11th place with two points. Yeah. Um, here are my notes. I turn, tuned out during this to read a listing from Gothamist of the best pescatarian restaurants in the city and make <laughs> notes on that. So, um, yeah, this is classic Tori in not in a good way. Like, it's everything irritating about her and boring and i think it's still going on like i think we're still listening to it in some alternate dimension yes um there are songs i dislike more and i think the only reason i didn't rank this lower is that i distinctly remember when i was listening to this album like it would come to the end of tear in your hand and i would just skip back to the beginning because i'm an i'm an asshole so i i didn't live with this one as much uh Maybe I would have ranked it higher, actually, but I had no memory of it, and this was not a pleasant reunion. So, ten. Three points. Three points. Okay. Well, we have done done the de- we've done done the thing, and uh, <laughs> actually done the do. I think I am ready now to. Are we doing reveal... top two, bottom two, or top three, bottom three? Uh, yeah. Why don't we do top two and bottom two? Although there is a tie for our top tier, so it'll actually be three songs. Great. So, Sarah, I will start by revealing our bottom choice. Our last play song is, in fact, Little Earthquakes with five points. (laughs) Okay. And then our next to last play song, just as it is on the album, is Me and a Gun with seven points. Although, if you were to remove Me and a Gun from this conversation entirely, for the reasons we've previously stated, then our next to last play song would actually be Leather, with nine points, which I feel like, you know, we, neither one of us hated that song. It's just like, ah, nine points to leather. Yeah. And then we actually have a tie for second place with 17 points. Silent All These Years. 
and perhaps least predictably of all, Mother at 17 points. Huh. Okay. I kind of I kind of love that Mother is our is in a tie for second place for us. Yeah, that's crazy. And then far and away, uh, first place with 23 points, tear in your hand, and that feels exactly right to me. It certainly does. Um, thank you for taking our hands, listeners, and coming with us on this uh, journey back to the early 90s and um, <laughs> a closet full of uh, scarf dresses and pants made of buttons. Uh, this has been really delightful and a... Uh, a fascinating journey as always. Mark, any closing thoughts before we uh, take our leave? Just that I would love to hear from you guys, listeners. Uh, you are always so interesting and fun to talk to about these things. And I feel pretty certain that a lot of you are going to have strong feelings about this album. And I would love to hear them. I know Sarah would too. So email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. Tweet us at talksongs. Hit up our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash podcast. I really want to hear your thoughts on our rankings, but also your thoughts on the album in general. And thank you again to all the people who requested this. This has been so much fun. And Sarah, of course, I would not have taken this journey with anyone else but you. <laughs> Nor I. And I'm looking forward to what a particular listener who always ranks along with us, whose name rhymes with Flip Jane, is going to think of this album. So yes, listeners, be in touch. And Mark, thank you for uh, not being silent all these minutes. Oh, you're welcome. When are you going to make up your mind? When are you going to love you as much as I do? Right now, I hope. Right now, what? precious thing. Right now. Oh, boom. My endless told me that I was right out of my head the way he described it. He said I'd be better dead than live. I didn't listen to his jive. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. Today's theme song was written by Laura Barger and Jack Baldelli. If you'd like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for my fine co-host Mark to read your pop chart horoscope, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talksongs at gmail.com, tweet at us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a positive review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choice. And please download the music you hear legally. Until next time, this is Sarah. And this is Mark. And, and this, this is, is Mark and Sarah. Mark and Sarah talk, talk about, about songs. songs. <laughs> Stretch it out! Talk about songs. Songs. Crazy scenes before I came to think I was crazy. I may have been only three, but I was swinging. They all have an angry young man. They all have an Edison and also an Einstein. So why should I feel sorry if they just couldn't understand the idiomatic logic that went on in my head? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.